wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I had the good fortune this week to go visit my family in Virginia. Uh, the plan had been to go to Virginia while I was on sabbatical from the parish as well, but Cambridge messed with the timing of that, but because I'm still on sabbatical from Biola, I was able to, to go home, and it had been a year and a half since I had been in Virginia uh, to see my family. Uh, a year and a half is always too long to go without being in Virginia, uh, but uh, it was good to, I had seen my parents at Brennan's graduation, for example, earlier in the summer, but I hadn't been home, and I had not been home uh, around Christmas time um, to see decorations in people's houses since 2005, which was the first year Christina and I moved here. We went home that Christmas, and then we didn't go back anymore at Christmas because we wanted to create our own traditions as a family, and it was, uh, it was a good visit. Uh, you know, in part, because I'm going to say, well, because I was in Virginia. So uh, everything's better in Virginia. Uh, at least these days you have to say everything's better in the, in the middle to southern part of the state of Virginia, right, Connor? So, uh, but um, it was good to be in Virginia. It was good to see my parents, to see my uh, siblings, and to see uh, all my nieces and nephews with the exception uh, of my one niece who wasn't home from college yet. And uh, it really was a good, a good visit. And, and my dad, as soon as we got home from the airport and got into the house, my dad said, oh, there's a surprise waiting for you uh, up in your room because the bedrooms in the house are still referred to as Greg's room, Julie's room, and David's room, uh, right? Um, and so I stayed in my room, Greg's room, when I was home. Uh, it's mostly the guest room now, but no one calls it that. It's just Greg's room. And so I went upstairs to put my suitcase in literally my room, and uh, there on the dresser were four Christmas ornaments that I had made or one I had been gifted as a child. Now, we've dutifully written dates on the back of the Christmas ornaments that the boys have made or been given, but my parents didn't do that, so I can only guess uh, as to the age of some of these ornaments. But I can tell you uh, they were made a while ago. Uh, one was made so long ago that when I wrote my name in, in glue on the Christmas ball and then put glitter on it, you know, the G's here, it's a, it's a ball, so this would be difficult for many of us, I hope, but the G's here, the R is a little lower, the E's even lower, and the E's upside down, which I think gives away my age, I was pretty young, and then the other G is floating like way down at the bottom, so th there's that, it's, it's, a, it's a green Christmas ball that had like, you know, like green string kind of wound around it for anyone who might be old enough, and it's now kind of coming apart, so both boys are like, it's like fur or something on this thing. I said, yeah, it's coming apart, but you know. Uh, another one was a little sled made of popsicle sticks. Another one was a Christmas tree that was just made with flour dough, right? You would take flour and water, and you'd kind of make a paste, maybe something else, and you'd just cookie cutter to cut out a shape, let it dry, and then you could paint on it. So it was a Christmas tree, and the final one, which is the cutest one, but also the oddest thing to have made for Christmas is a turtle. And the back of the turtle is a walnut shell. So I'm guessing that's the Christmas aspect of it was the walnut shell glued on to this, you know, flat piece of felt shaped like a turtle with, on which I glued two eyes or drew two eyes. I can't remember. So I brought those home. My parents were like, we aren't going to hang these on our tree ever again. You want them? And I said, of course. So I texted Christina and said, can I come home and put these on our tree? And she said, of course. Now the ball with my name on it is a 
we'll keep that, but maybe it won't go on the tree, kind of a decoration. But the other thing that my dad, I imagine, had run across in his, in his paperwork, my dad is a notorious kind of hoarder of paperwork, were my re- was my report card from the ninth grade, which is actually Nathaniel's grade right now. So we could, we could look, and it was my final report card. So we had six grading periods in the year. I didn't remember this. I learned all this by deciphering the report card. So on the report card, which were, on the back is carbon, so you had to press hard enough. I got the originals, but I guess the carbon copies went into the permanent file. But each, each of the six periods of the school year, there was a grade, and then there was a grade for the like, first semester exam, first semester final grade, and then a grade for the second semester exam, the second semester grade, and then the overall grade. And without fail, if it wasn't for history, I was a straight B student, right? History is the only thing I got higher than a B in. My lowest grade on there was, what, a D on an exam, I think, was on there. And so it's the kind of grades that I tell my own kids they can't have, but yet they were my grades. And so I said to Nathaniel, well, I've, I've redeemed myself a bit in the years since uh, I took these classes. They had names of teachers I didn't recognize. I don't recall these teachers, na- all of them, a couple of them I did. But anyway, it was, it was kind of nostalgic, right, to, to be looking at these old report cards, to have little memories of the actual teachers. But then my nephew, so I had this report card from when I was in, um, actually it was middle school, went to ninth grade. So this was at my middle school called Manelison. But the next year when I moved up to the high school, um, my nephew Carson had a one-act play last week at the high school. So I went to the one-act play performance performances First time I had been in my high school since 1989. I graduated. I went back for, I think, my sister's graduation, but that was outside of the school. That was at the football field. And so I had not been back inside my high school, Amherst County High School, Lancers. Right, Reuben? Yay, Lancers. Um, um, but uh, it was just the auditorium looked the same. I thought maybe the seats were newer. Uh, my sister-in-law doubts if they've ever been replaced. And then the next night, He also plays varsity basketball. So I went back to the high school to watch his basketball game, and I was in the gym. And other than a new floor, the gym looks the same, right? It just looks like the high school gym. And so I had all these memories, like, just flooding back, report cards, uh, Christmas ornaments I used to hang on the tree. Um, Of course, I'm staying in in my own room, which I've done many times since I moved out. But then to be in my high school and I don't know if it's just because we're all in our mid to late 40s, but whenever I get together with my siblings now, it does become a lot of reminiscing. So we, we took a family picture, the five of us, the three siblings and my parents. Then my brother went and re- retreated and found a picture from 1986, which had been a church directory picture. So it was done by Olin Mills. And my, my sister-in-law, Catherine, said, Olin Mills, I've never heard of them. And I said, well, that's because they were Baptist photographers and you were raised Roman Catholic. You know, so you probably had a religious order that came around and took pictures. And I was joking with her, of course. That's not true. But she goes, I don't think we ever did those kinds of things. And so my brother brought this picture from 1986, and then I realized it was my ninth grade picture. I was, not, I was in ninth grade in that picture. So I took a picture of the picture of myself in it and sent it to Nathaniel, and he was unimpressed. And uh, I will not show any of you that picture for sure. So, But uh, it, was, it was quite quite a, a season of, of memories and my mom actually said oh we ran across all the baby books we're going to send you home with your baby book except when they then went to look for my baby book it was not there they don't know where it has gone so it's either been misplaced or one of my siblings grabbed two and took them home or something like that but the point is as I came back from Virginia 
uh, having a good visit with all these memories from my past, and it was nostalgic, but mostly I can say they were happy memories. And every time I get together with my parents, I try to get more and more information um, out of my parents about my past, their past. They're, they're, not, they're not being elusive. It's just I remember to ask things. And the other neat thing was my mother had not been together with her four siblings in years, and I made that happen. So I ma- I, it was a picture now with my mom and her siblings, the first time they had all been together in a good number of years. Um, and so, again, these are happy memories. And my, my dad was, you know, answering my questions, everything from, you know, is the foundry still open that used to be next to where he worked at the paper mill? You know, the restaurant we ate in Saturday morning said they had been in business for 58 years, but I don't remember them being there when I was growing up. And so it was good. And again, for me, mostly all good, happy memories. But that's not true for everyone, of course. Uh, Not all of us have happy memories of our past, and to be honest, not all of us are experiencing things right now that will make for happy memories. And that's because life can be challenging. So that's Wendell, by the way. He's in church tonight, if you hear that crying in the back. So uh, um, our newest churchman is now here. So, uh, (laughs) but life can be challenging, and it's not all happy memories, and it's not even like the things that are happening in our lives right now might be generating happy memories. And psychologists tell us that this time of year in particular exacerbates some of those bad memories and it's a difficult time of year for many people. And so I wanted to acknowledge tonight through our text that life can be challenging, but yet we're reminded from our text that there's always hope. And I wanna thank Jessica for for reading so well tonight, but to come back to that Isaiah 35 passage, what what a great set of verses from Isaiah 35. Just listen to these words again. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. So the wilderness and the desert are wilderness and desert, but they will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The the waste places, the deadness will come to life. And, And part of that is just, in this, this part of the world, part of that is just the seasonal changes, right? The other thing I experienced, and I've had this in heaps and doses this year because of Cambridge and all the rain we've gotten. It rained a lot at my parents' house, and it's very dead. And I was out running the first morning I was there, and I thought, there used to never be leaves like this. I mean, I was astounded by the amount of leaves just laying everywhere uh, in central Virginia. And my dad said, no, I think that's always the case. You just have been gone a long time. But, you know, even so, it's just seeing it dead and, and it's full glory of its deadness. It's, it's done. The trees have dropped all their leaves. Nothing is, is green anymore. But, but we know that the spring will bring that back. So part of this verse is just talking about that natural rhythm. But nonetheless, the wilderness and the desert will become these beautiful places again and be glad and rejoice. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They... The wilderness and the desert shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Right? And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. The layman will leap like a deer. I'm old, but not lame, and I don't think I even leap like a deer. So imagine a layman leaping like a deer. The tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. So we could continue, but there's all this language of, Here's the reality, but this other thing is coming. Or maybe to say it, 
here's the way things are now, but the reality is this other thing. The reality is hope and joyfulness. It's speaking and leaping and singing and seeing. It's not deafness, blindness, uh, being mute and being lame. That though that might be what's happening in this season, something greater is coming. And that's exactly what this Sunday, I mean, it's what this season is about of Advent, but this Sunday in particular looks at things through the lens of the prophets. So again, let me read today's collect for us again. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you sent your messengers, the prophets. We heard that when Nathaniel lit the Advent candle, that the theme Again, as the prophets, John the Baptist in particular, you sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation. Grant that the ministers and stewards of your mysteries may likewise make ready your way. How? By turning the hearts of the disobedient toward the wisdom of the just. That at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found a people acceptable in your sight. So that is what we think about. So again, though my memories of growing up in Virginia with my family are mostly happy, that's always not true. We can go through and have gone through challenging seasons, and some of us are in those seasons right now in our own lives. But when we are confronted with this word from the prophets, and again from James, which we'll get into here in a moment, we are reminded that that's not what things will be. It might be the way things are, but there's something better coming. And, of course, in Advent, we know that's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But in our own lives, when we're going through challenging things, we need to remember that the answer is Jesus and better times are coming. Again, the blind will see, the mute will speak, the lame will leap like the deer, right? So we need to do what, according to James, in light of these difficulties in life, in light of the challenges that we face? James tells us to be patient and steadfast. Again, here's from our James reading tonight. Be patient, being patient, be patient, patient, steadfast, steadfastness. It is not hard to see in these five verses the six references to patience and steadfastness. So what do we do in those challenging seasons? We are to be patient and steadfast. As one commentator translated it, I love this, brave endurance. Brave because it could seem like that these challenges are the reality, that this is all there is to life or the difficulties and challenges. But we stand up to them bravely, knowing that they might not pass right away, so we have to endure. But yet we know that this is not the reality. Again, the desert and the wilderness will even blossom. But how do we do this? Right? How, how do we navigate the difficulties and challenges of life? James says two things. I mean, he says to be patient but, and steadfast, but how do we do that? How do we practice this patience and steadfastness? Well, the first thing he says in verse 8 is establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. And how do we do that? Well, he tells us by remembering that the Lord is at hand. So the Lord is at hand. In other words, he's, he's here with us, yes, but also he's yet still coming to make all things right. So what is the answer to the challenges? The Lord. Well, we may have to wait for him, and as we wait for him, we need to be patient and steadfast in that by establishing our hearts, remembering that God is at hand. 
Again, the second coming, which we also remember through Advent, is imminent. Just because we're in the year 2019 does not lessen the imminency of the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ. It could happen at any moment, and we should live in light of that. Doing our best through the challenges of life to be patient and steadfast by establishing our hearts on the fact that Christ is coming soon. The second way we do that is do not grumble, verse 9. So these are parallel. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord's at hand. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. And I was reading one commentator, and he said, like, this seems to be an odd parallel to establish your hearts. Don't grumble, right? It seems like what just happened? We just like went 90 degrees or something like that. But he actually says the grumbling might be related to the fact of the second coming in that we begin to uh, question whether the second coming is imminent. We begin to think that the judgment of Christ will not come or the deliverance of Christ out of our troubles will not come. So what do we do? We start to grumble about it. Now, this might be easier said than done, and I imagine that it is, like not grumbling and establishing our hearts so that we can be patient and steadfast in the light of these challenges. But that's what we are called to do as believers in Christ, that as we await his coming, that we put ourselves in a position to focus on, to reflect on, to think about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, who will deliver us from all of these challenges, He will make the world right again. And the ways in which we live as fallen people in a fallen world, Christ will come back and make things right. He'll judge the living and the dead and set those, the just, over against those who have been unjust. He will reestablish justice. He will make us whole and healthy again and always physically, emotionally, psychologically, et cetera, et cetera. But our responsibility, our call is to be patient and steadfast. And that's part of what the role of the prophets is, is to remind us that God is doing a thing, that God will do a thing. So we look to the prophets to remind us that God is coming. We look to the prophets to be told that the blind will see, the mute will talk, the lame will leap, etc. Now we need to believe these things. We need to confess these things, if you will. We need to, to be able to say to God, I trust in you to deliver me from these challenges, from these difficulties. If we resort to grumbling, then we're doing exactly the opposite of what James commends. If we fail to remember that the judgment and coming of the Lord is at hand, we will fail to establish our hearts. And by not doing those things, we will demonstrate our impatience and our lack of steadfastness before God. James holds up the example of Job as steadfastness. Of course, why wouldn't he? Job is such a great example of patience and steadfastness. But more so tonight, these texts in our collect point us towards the example of the prophets, in particular John the Baptist. He who was arrested, imprisoned, and ultimately killed. But that's okay because his purpose was simply to point to another. To point to the one who was greater than him. To point to Christ. 
So although I think we could certainly say John the Baptist faces sets of challenges, he knew there was something greater that he could point to. He knew that his job was not to to bring the peace on earth that the Christ would bring, for he was not the Christ, but in pointing to the Christ, he gave people the hope that they needed. He became like Isaiah, the one who points to the desert and the wilderness and says they will blossom again. He's the one who reminds the blind, the lame, the mute, etc., that they will see and hear and leap again. And we shouldn't throw around the title of prophet too loosely, but at the same time, the word of God is for us a prophetic word, that we hear the words of Isaiah speaking to us, that we see and hear the words and example of John the Baptist, that he is speaking to us of the coming of Christ and the coming judgment, and we take comfort in that, or that's what's intended, is that we take comfort in that. And so this Advent, as we continue to move towards the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, let's not simply press down or try to put away in our own flesh those things that cause us grief and that challenge us and bring sadness and perhaps even despair into our lives. That even as I look back over the long haul of now 48 years of living and, and, and experiencing life, in my birth family and now in my, uh, my own family of choice, if you will, um, that Christine and I have together with the boys. I mean, it's not all perfect, of course. It's, it's mostly happy memories. But there are those moments, and that's not everyone's story. So as we step up to the challenges that are facing us this day and every day, no matter what they are, let us take great hope and hear the words of the prophet encouraging us to remember that the Lord is at hand, to be certain about the coming of Christ so that we won't grumble, so that we'll establish our hearts. And by doing that, we will be patient and steadfast through these seasons of challenges and difficulties. So as this color rose reminds us tonight, may we be refreshed. May we rejoice in the message that the prophets bring to us. May we rejoice in the fact that God will come and deliver us from all that is wrong in our lives and the lives of this world. And may we keep our eyes focused, of course, on Christ, not just he who comes as a child in the manger, but he who will come again to judge the living and the dead. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.